welcome to tonight's Moms After Dark here on Word of Mom Radio on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dory DiCarlo. I'm here with Teresa Chase. And you know we are here with our shows just week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and business women, especially those of us building our businesses from home, that we're just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done, we're not. We're smart and we are savvy and we're sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life. And we are celebrating 10 years on the air, the month of March. We have just been celebrating on our Thursday Mompreneur Model Show, which is the show that began it all back in 2012, which is so amazing to me. And we're kind of still celebrating now. And I wanted to bring Teresa into the celebration as she's part of our our, you know, began in our ninth year and now as our 10th year is in swing. So it's just so fun. So, Teresa, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy, hello, everybody. We are living in interesting times. We certainly are. And, you know, it's funny. I, I actually wanted, I put up a post the other day. And, you know, I actually want to pull it up because I want to read what I wrote to everyone. You know, my morning thoughts as I sit sipping my cup of tea, I never know what I am going to think about. Although, you know, I also put up, you know, there's just one legitimate synonym for Friday, which is boom shakalakalaka. So I, I love that. True. Figured I'd throw that out there too, because it's really true. It is definitely a boom shakalakalaka day. But the post that I shared, and it was a graphic that I saw, and it said, view your life with kind sight. Stop beating yourself up about things from your past. Instead of slapping your forehead and asking, what was I thinking? Breathe and ask yourself the kinder question, what was I learning? And this is what this made me think of. I said, good morning, To you, my dearly loved family of friends, happy spring. So this was on Monday that I shared this. Monday is here, a new week begins, and what are you doing to make it remarkable? Here's a quote from whatever you are, be a good one. Hold up your head. You were not made for failure. You were made for victory. Go forward with joyful confidence. That was written by George Eliot. What a great thought. So many of us have felt that you've reached a place where we can't go on, but I want you to remember that each time you thought you were at the end and couldn't take any more, you've survived and moved forward. The only limitations in life are those we put on ourselves or give others permission to put on us. Stand strong and know that you are bigger and stronger than any obstacle you can ever face. The foundation you've built can weather any storm that might come your way. So let's view our lives with kind sight. Today is here, always my favorite day, and I send much love and joy to all. And that's how my week started and the morning message that I wanted to share. And I, it's a message I want to continue to share because with everything going on, We beat ourselves up all the time and we really start to, we need to start viewing our life with kind sight. 
So I'm going to leave it oh, up to you, open to you now, Teresa. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. One of the things I was I was watching the Jackson hearing, and one of the things that caught my attention is that she was she distanced herself from the negativity. She wouldn't be baited. And her confidence, her self-love, her compassion gave her the strength and courage to go, yep, I see what you're doing, but I'm not going to buy into it. And I think that's one of the things that we need to really bring back into our lives. Because, you know, when we're singing woulda, shoulda, coulda, we're wasting time and energy and letting the past dominate the present and stall the future. You know, it's so interesting to me because I've seen so many posts about how, you know, comparing her to Justice Kavanaugh mm-hmm. during his Senate hearings and how, as a black woman, you know, this is what she has to do. And it's like, you know yeah. what? It's not just women of color. It's what all women have to do. Yeah. Because if we were, I mean, I watched his hearings too. And when oh, Senator um, Albright, was it, that asked him if he had ever had a blackout, and he snapped back at her, well, have you ever had one? The way he spoke, crying yeah. and whining, you know, to me, yeah. this was a job interview, and as far as I was concerned, he failed on a oh, grand yeah. scale. Whereas if this a woman had had pulled that crap, they would have just clicked their tongue and went, see, we told you she's not up to the challenge. Exactly. She's having PMS. Exactly. Oh, it must be that time. You know, I'm yes. serious. So, oh, look at Hillary Clinton. 11 hours yep. being grilled. She never cried once. She never whined that you're insulting my family. You're hurting everybody. She answered the questions. I'm serious. But she answered the questions over and over and over again. And no matter how they tried to twist her words, the truth is the truth is the truth. No matter how you ask a question, you can't trip someone up on the truth. And it's the same way with Judge Jackson. You cannot... You know, the fact that they, I, I couldn't believe, you know, what the thing that makes me laugh the most is the book that Ted Cruz pulled out, you know, are you a racist, blah, blah, blah. And here's this anti-racist. That book is now a bestseller. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The shelves. It just, everything they've done has backfired and just shown them to mm-hmm. be so, and the fact that Mitch McConnell has come out saying he can't vote for her because he's not comfortable with her sentencing. Every single she, there's not a judge that hasn't followed those same guidelines. Exactly, it's unbelievable to me. 
It really, truly is so unbelievable. When Lindsey Graham kept asking her about her religious beliefs, and she's like, mm-hmm. this is not an appropriate question. Yeah. You know, jurisprudence says that my religious belief has nothing to do with the laws that I'm interpreting. I'm not writing law. This is the law. Well, and, I think and- part of the problem is, you know, laws are written in Congress, and evidently the senators don't understand that they are the ones who write the laws, and maybe that's why we're not getting good laws. Right. She actually, she said that. She said, you know, if you'd like to address these laws, that's something that you need to do in Congress. You know, not on the bench. We're not here to write law. We're not here to create policy. We are here to, you know, this is what the Constitution says. This is what this law is, you know. And But it is, it's just, it's unbelievable to me. The way, and again, every time I see the post that as a black woman, she had to keep her cool. No, as any woman. Yes. I look yes. forward to the day that nobody's no, that no woman is no longer the first woman this, the first black woman, the first Latina woman, the first Asian woman. I'm so tired of the labels. Yes. I am. Did you ever see Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Oh, I loved it. I, you know, I love that movie. I absolutely love and adore that movie. And the scene in the movie where Sidney Poitier is talking to his father and his dad is just so upset with him. And he looks at him and he's like, Dad, you're my father. I love you. I always have and I always will. But you view yourself as a colored man. I view myself myself as a man. man. Exactly. That's the whole thing, you know, and that's what made Sidney Poitier such an important person in our country. Yes. Because he made people view people for who they are. I think back to Dr. King. I was in second grade when he was assassinated, but I still remember him speaking. I still remember sitting with my mother, listening to his I Have a Dream, where my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their heart. Yes. And I I remember watching Obama. After I cast my vote, I had to go to Massachusetts, and I've never sat up. And watch the election returns. I go to bed. I wake up the next day to find out who the president-elect. I sat up and watched these returns come in. And I can remember sitting and crying, thinking how only 40 years later, our country judged someone based on the content of their heart. Yes. You know? He was an amazing president. But he also, his, the color of his skin set off a cascade Ooh. of events that has rippled around the world where the white supremacists realized they are losing power to women, 
people of color, people who believe differently, people who um, live differently. They are, you know, especially the white Christian men, and I, I hate to bring religion in, but that's, you know, the banner they fly. Oh, no and doubt. For the, uh, for the longest time, they had total control over mm-hmm. everyone else. And now they are in the minority, and they are still the loudest and most violent voices in the room. Yep. But they are, you know, there are, you can tell we are winning and they are losing by their actions. I wrote that article, uh, uh, Putin, the death of toxic patriarchy. That's what Putin represents. He it represents the toxic element of patriarchy. And his invasion of the Ukraine mm. is him trying to reestablish his own power in his country and to bully the, and to bully the rest of the world. And it's a rude shock to them the white supremacists on a whole, that people aren't giving in. You know, we are, instead of giving in, we're working together and becoming whole as a population and as humans as a species. Mm-hmm. And the simple fact is, is when we give in to the fear, when we give in to the self-doubt, we give our power away to the people, you know, people who are causing the fear. That's the goal. I I watched this one documentary about the the in the 1960s when the marches started. They started off slow because people were afraid of getting hurt. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, mm-hmm. when they started getting be- beaten and the you know with the fire hoses and realized that they were surviving, they realized what they were fearing the most, they could survive. Right. And that is when the nation started coming together. And that was a major turning point on a, on a lot of levels. You know, the, you know, when Johnson enabled, you know, or, or forced through the Voting Rights Act, the Dixiecrats went to the Republican Party, where they flourished and have taken over. And the Democrats are pulling everybody else together. It's just we have to stop being afraid of the woulda, shoulda, couldas. Right. So you know, the woulda, shoulda, couldas is so true. And you know, you look back and and. You know, one would have thought in that in that rose-colored glasses that we wear at times that mm-hmm. Obama would have united this country. And if anything, it it put this again that white supremacist. Let's face it: when John Bonner retired and and Mitch McConnell literally said it's gonna, you know, it's his life's work to block. Anything that man tried yep. to do, yep, you know, including withholding him putting a Supreme Court justice 
in place with over a year before the next election and then sitting and shoving Amy Coney Barrett through two weeks before an election was going off. Meanwhile, ballots were already being cast. The interesting thing with her, though, and I will say that for the most part, they backfired with her. Oh, yeah. She really has proven so far to realize whose footsteps she jumped, she stepped into. Whose seat on that court she was sitting in. And what she wouldn't be sitting there if it weren't for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, I mean, I I remember when Sandra Day O'Connor got on there and everything, but you know what? It was Ginsburg that pushed. Oh, yeah. Until the late 80s, a woman couldn't even get a credit card. Yeah. You couldn't get a mortgage without a husband. You could forget getting a business loan. I mean, we're still struggling on that one. You know, Uh, tell me about that one. Uh, Right. You know, you and me both. But people just don't realize what Ruth Bader Ginsburg did. And I think, like I said, for the most part, they're looking going, dang, we really thought that that Catholic woman was going to shove her religious agenda into her rulings, and she hasn't. She has followed constitutional law. But karma is coming around to bite them. Well, let's hope. Uh, what, oh, God, what is his name? Um, his wife and her... Whoa, Clarence Thomas. Thomas. Clarence Thomas. You know what? I'm serious. Can you believe this? Finding out that this woman, I mean, think about it. Uh Think about it. And, you know, she's saying how what she does and what her husband does are two different things. They don't discuss. He was the only person. It was an eight to one vote on 45 having to turn over all of the transcripts and things when it went to the Supreme Court, he's the only one who voted against it. Yep. And now all of this stuff is coming out about his wife and Mark Meadows and the texts and forget the fact that she was at the rally, you know, the rally's the rally and, you know, she's got the right to free speech, but the fact that she was in there explaining how they could, you know, uh huh. I'm serious. You know what? And again, I find it very interesting that all of a sudden Justice Thomas is nowhere to be seen. He's in the Justice. who's been in the hospital, but nobody's heard a word from him. Yep. How much? I'm, I'm going to bet dollars to donuts he's going to come back and have to say that you know I'm going to step down. I'm ill. I can't. I can no longer. Before they impeach him. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sorry. This is impeachable. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beyond impeachable. And I think, like I say, it was karma coming around to bite bite him in the ass. Oof. I also think 
that Kavanaugh needs to be looked at again. Well, I and think have that a will re- happen. I think so, too. I think the, the, a lot of things are – everybody's complaining that it's taking too long, it's taking too long. And now there's a rumor that New York won't go after Trump and the, yeah, the, the family and the, the business. There is a there's a lot of balls in the air, and we just have to let things play out because to do it right, it takes time. Correct. And if they do it, if they rush it and do it wrong, it's gonna it's gonna you know he will get off for sure, and. It will empower the white supremacists even more, and it will it will yeah it will make everything that much worse. But Kavanaugh he got pushed through, and the oh, only no reason sense. he got he got pushed through as, um, the way he did is because of, because of McConnell. Oh, without a and, doubt. Well, it wasn't just McConnell. It was McConnell. Well, it was it, Graham. It, it was, was the, the Republican. They had a Republican majority, and they could mm-hmm. do whatever they wanted. And it's yep. the same thing with Amy. You know, the fact the fact that McConnell held back again, Obama. You know, Merrill Garland held yeah. that back over a year before because it was an yeah. election year, and and pushed through Barrett with yeah. two weeks to an election. Yep. And again, I, you know, I love that she is turning out to be, so far, a really good addition. She is upholding the law. You know, back in her days on the bench, she had voted against certain things with the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. and things. And yet when it came down, because that's it, you know, the Republicans one more time wanting to repeal this, you know, not for nothing. They had eight flipping years to figure out how to replace it. Yep. You know, and and with nothing, but let's just take it away with nothing to put in its place. And she was the vote that made that not happen. You know, the thing the thing of it is, they the Republicans do not want universal health universal health care because that takes a bargaining chip away from their ability to abuse workers, right, and turn them into slaves. I stayed working at a job longer than I should have just for the insurance, right. and I left because when you know the coverage started to slide and get so terribly expensive, it wasn't worth it. And so I went without health care for a long time because of it. But, you know, the pla- that place I was working at, it, I suggested so many wonderful ideas. And they got poo-pooed, but a, a, a man, rep- you know, you know, suggested the same thing, and suddenly, you know, it was the best thing since sliced bread. Well, and at this day of age, I can't believe that is still happening. You know, it amazes me that we're still shocked. Mm-hmm. It truly is. 
it truly amazes me that it's it still can be surprising to us because it's it's so crazy it's so it's so unbelievable to me that we are in the 21st century and we are watching women's rights get rolled backwards and backwards yep. and backwards and backwards and this is why you know, this is why it's so important to just vote. You know, yes. when 45 was in, he was getting people on the bench that were going to do exactly what they are doing right now. Yes. In rolling back these rights and everything else. And fortunately, in many of the states, the Supreme Courts in those states are saying no. You can't yeah. do this. You can't do this. Yeah. You can't do that. But it is just, it is mind-blowing to me to see the fact that my granddaughter and my daughter may have less rights than I did. Let's face it, yeah. Teresa, we've already talked about this. You and I have already lived through Roe v. Wade. We've yeah. already lived through this chapter of our history. Amy uh, uh, Kobachar is right. They should just codify Roe mm-hmm. v. Wade into law. And that way it takes it out of the Supreme Court's hand. Yeah. And it takes it out of every state's hand. You know, that's it. This is the law. That's why this year and 24 is so important. Mm-hmm. We have to show up. We have to run for office. And we have to support those who do. One of the things that I'm going to be doing is, I'm, you know, I'm a writer, producer, I'm an editor, and I'm very good at promotional videos. I am going to be promoting, you know, basically producing videos that point out, you know, like for Michigan, our roads are horrible. Our bridges are horrible. They need to be repaired. My representative voted against the Build Back Better. Huh. He voted against, you know, re, you know, making, you know, our roads and our bridges safer. He voted against those good-paying jobs. How can he say that he is serving us when he's taking things away? But and you know, the same thing with voting against lowering, you know, guarantee that nobody would pay um, more than $35 a month for insulin. Right. And other drugs. That was part of the Build Back Better that he voted against. He voted but, against sorry, you know, children getting preschool and better education and pre- being prepared for the future jobs. He voted against that. And that's what Republicans need to be beat over the head with. And the you know, thing is, let's face it, after things got passed, all of those Republicans that voted against it yep. are now out there promoting it. Yep. Like they helped that happen. And mm-hmm. this is where, again, this is where, you know, they want to call us sheep, the quote unquote liberals. 
Yeah. You know, the ones who don't stop at the headlines, the yeah. ones who actually watch the entire conference, not just the yeah. sound bite of it. But we're the sheep. And it's amazing to me. And, and to me, this is what the Democrats need to do when they're running. They yeah. need to remind people that that person you're voting for voted against this, voted against this, voted against this. And yep. continue to bring it up over and over and over again. So that way, what are they going to do? Lie? They're going to oh, say, yeah. no, I voted for this. No, you didn't. Here's your voting record. That's yep. all public record. Yep. It's all public record. Okay? And so when there's a 50-50 tie and Kamala Harris, our vice president, has to break that tie, it's because every Republican said no. Mm-hmm. You know, including people like Mitt Romney. I mean, there's some of the Republicans that voted against this. I was like, really? You know, especially after they put together the bipartisan group to hammer out something that everybody could be happy with. Yeah. And the Republicans still voted it down. It's like, what the heck? You know, let's face it. You and I grew I would... up. We grew up in a time where no matter who was the president, our Congress and our Senate worked for the American people. Yes. It wasn't about party lines. And what I don't understand, you know, their rationale that if they let President Biden's agenda go through, there'll never be another Republican elected. That's not true. That's faulty logic when you think about it, because they're showing, hey, look, no matter who was in office, we're doing what's right for the American people. That's why you want to keep voting us. That's why you want to keep bringing us in. And now I'm the one stepping up who wants to be president because I'm going to continue on. This is their faulty logic. And this is just that, that ridiculous, I'll never understand why people don't see this, why they aren't cognizant of the fact that when you do what is right for your constituents, they're going to keep voting for you. You know, I don't get it. Well, the thing of it is, Republicans want to bring that. I've been saying this, people, you know, since, you know, George W. and people laughed at me. They are trying to bring back the Confederacy, where white oh, no Christian men have all the power, and they are doing their best to keep people ignorant, so they can get away with it, and they play on their bigotry and their misogyny and their racism. That is how they get rid. You know, they make it happen, and by uh, gerrymandering the voting and, you know, making it more difficult to vote, they've been getting away with it. As opposed to actually supporting policies that help people. Yeah. The Republicans (laughs) don't have any policies at all, except, you know, we we hate Democrats and liberals. That's their only policy. And, you know, we need to be the adults in the room. They are toddlers. They're throwing tantrums. 
And what do you do with a toddler throwing a tantrum? You spank their butt and put them in a corner. Yeah. And um, I I think I would have too much fun. Um, I put it this way, I don't know who would have more fun, them or me, if I spank them. <laughs> um, and frankly, there are several of them I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, yeah, Ted Cruz is, um, uh, you know, like tops the list. He so reminds me of McCarthy. I don't you know, know, you know. I mean, every time he opens his mouth, it's like, what size foot does your mouth wear? Yeah. You know, at I least mean, he seriously. Didn't, <laughs> at least he didn't read Dr. Seuss this time. You know, it's just, it's remarkable to me because when you look at, you know, let's face it, in the last handful of years, we've seen three support, you know, Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. be appointed. Not one yes. of them has been asked about their sentencing. Not one of yes. them has been asked about any of this. Not one of them. Including Lady Tony Barrett, but let's face it, it didn't serve the Republicans to berate her. Of course not. But there, you know, there have been judges who are mostly Republican who give lighter sentences to white men. And this sounds like I'm beating, beating up on men. Yeah, that's what, not what I'm doing. There are a lot of wonderful men out there. But, you know, not, if they're walking around with white hoods and brown shirts or a combination thereof, they are not good men. But, you know, this one judge, it was proven that the guy was a rapist. And but right. he didn't want to ruin ruin the kid's life. Right, exactly. Um, the twenty minutes, you know, he he already felt it tainted his college career and everything yeah. else. And that's the guy whose father said, you know, why should my son have to suffer for the rest of his life for twenty minutes of pleasure? Exactly. <laughs> you know, forget and, the girl whose life, you know. Has to live is, with this is, is shattered. You know because exactly. Sexual assault and rape shatter shatter lives. You right. are never the same. You are right. you are never the same, and some people don't survive. When it happened to me, I, I it's taken me thirteen years to you know to find all the pieces and build a life again. I nearly didn't survive. And the you know, basically, it kills the person you were. That person doesn't exist anymore. Right. But you know, the rapist is it's going to ruin their life. Right. You know. You know. Let's face it. There are states in this country now where you're rapist, you can't have an abortion, and your rapist has the right to raise that child with you. Yeah. And. I just found out there are a couple of states that if they propose marriage, they can get out of jail time. It's like, you know, I'm serious. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're skirting the handmaid's tale. Yeah. We really truly are in so many ways. 
it's just, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And, you know, you wonder, and what happens when that's your daughter? Yeah. Or your well, granddaughter because you're yeah. so old. Uh, well, the thing of it is, men like that, they don't care about their daughters. Uh, you know, you know, during you know the civil, you know, pre-civil war, daughters were bargaining chips to True. for allegiances and to get bit more property. In the Middle Ages, if uh, your daughter was attacked, or even they suspected she was attacked, she'd be forced to marry her attacker. Well, true. And not to shame the family. Right. And second and subsequent sons did that a lot because the first son got all the property and the title. And, you know, you know, if the landowner or the lord didn't have a son, the property went to the oldest daughter. That, and when she married, he took over over everything, and that goes right. all the way to you know was moved forward all the way to the to the Civil War. The Confederacy, you know, Scarlett O'Hara didn't get away with that because she was so cute and adorable. She was the eldest daughter of a, of a property owner who did not have a son. Right. And they were courting her because. They saw ownership in a plantation. You know, so many you know women, especially in the South, fall prey to the Scarlet O'Hara syndrome. You know, thinking that you know they've got it so great. No, they were they were just better dressed slaves. You know, it's it's. It's it's frightening that the farther we come, the more we slip back. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, we look at, look at what is going on right now. I mean, the fact that Putin just, you know, can't stand the fact that he doesn't have what they used to have. You yeah. know, and and so steps into Ukraine, and let's face it, he thought Ukraine was going to fall in a heartbeat. Yeah. He was not expecting the all the losses that Russia is suffering. The fact that they're killing generals, and let's face it, in war, you know, there's always been that quote-unquote, I'm doing little finger quotes in the air, you know, the honor thing, mm-hmm. where you never kill the generals because... You have to have somebody to lead the armies and stuff. Yeah. They don't care. They're killing the generals any chance they get, and good for them. You know? Oh, I think and it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I do too. And he was, you know, first of all, he expected them to fall like that and definitely was not expecting the rest of the world. You know, I saw a meme, and it was true, about how Biden tried to unite the United States, and instead is he's united the world. 
Yes. And the United States, because of what Putin has done, you know, let's face it, 45, we lost a lot of respect on a worldwide level. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, in a couple of hundred years, I mean, let's face it, the United States is a new country. We're a baby compared to mm-hmm. other countries in this world. And we were the leader until him. Yep. And Biden is making us the leader again. He is uniting NATO, the G2, all of it out there right now in Poland, getting, you know, figuring out with the EU. It's like, okay, let's sit down. And how do we now get rid of Russia's energy and make ourselves not dependent on them? And, you know, I do understand. I mean, you know, the environmentalist in me really does understand the sacredness of the land and stuff like that. But here's the reality. We are a country that is outgrowing our, we're our, our, our country. Yes. And we have to stop being dependent on other countries. We have oil. We have natural resources. It does, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it means that we have to relocate wildlife. I don't think we should just go in there and destroy stuff, but it it's it's such a double edged sword. Well, you know? the thing of it is, what uh, solar and wind is so effective, and batteries have gotten so it they're easy to charge, they're easy they're easier every day to recycle. Studio is going to be completely off the grid. It's going to be completely solar, wind, and geothermal. And it can be done. It's just it needs to, you know, we need to step it up to make it work. There, um, I w- was doing research many years ago. There is, you know, everybody thinks about the big wind turbines. They've got micro turbines. It's a mesh that creates just as much power. And because they are so small, it doesn't require, you know, you could blow on them and create power. They are that sensitive because you're going micro instead of macro. Mm-hmm. And solar panels... They've got, you know, they, you know, on a cloudy day, they can still produce power. But they also have film that you can put across your windows mm-hmm. and hook them up and create power. And if you insulate your house and focus on, on making it more energy efficient, you don't have to have as much energy to keep it warm or cool. And geothermal is great for that. So you insulate the houses, you go to geothermal, and instead of, you know, you know raising the temperature, you know, 30 degrees, it can, you know, the heat that comes out of the ground is about 65 degrees. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't, you know, to raise it up to 70 or 75, it doesn't cost as much. 
or use as much energy. But then you turn it around, and that heating system in the summer becomes a cooling system because you're blowing 65-degree air into the room. There's ways of doing it that is cost-effective. It's more efficient. There was a big discussion on LinkedIn because Ford is going to be coming out with electric cars based on their classic models. I think Mustangs is going to be the first one. And there was this big uproar because, you know, they, you know they'll run out of energy. Like, no one has ever run out of gas. Right. And they're just so attached to to fossil fuels. But then it goes back to being, trying to resurrect the past. Just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done or can't be done. Yeah, there are so many ways around that. And even, you know, in the cities where, you know, you've got the sky rises, you put that film on every one of those windows. And, you know, solar panels and the smaller wind turbines on the roof, and you could, you know, power most of the building. And, you know, you don't need it, is, I guess, the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And what I, I, what amuses me is you've got these, you know, class of people who are the survivalists. And you would think they would be running towards wind and solar because it would keep right. them totally off the grill, grid. But instead, they're buying uh, generators that are powered by gas. Right. So, you know, I don't understand. But part of it's because they want to live in the past. And they want to take the rest of us with them. Well, you know, it, let's face it. When you look at nuclear energy and nuclear power, Mm-hmm. Nuclear is incredibly clean energy. And one small bit can power so much. It's yeah. just the safety, the security, you know, the other aspects. But, you know, there's, it, it, there's so many other ways. The flip side, though, is it, it is not going to, you know, being gas dependent isn't going to change overnight. Being no, it's not. Oil dependent. This isn't something that's going to happen in the next five years. You know, this is something that is going to take time. The batteries, you know, the, the electric cars now, those batteries aren't recyclable, and they're not, you know, how do you dispose of them? They don't biodegrade. You know, there's a lot to be learned in this technology, you know, but it is definitely technology that needs to be, I don't know what you're doing in the background. Oh, running water. Oh, okay. There's some funky noises going on. Um, you know, so th- this is something, you know, for the immediate future, you know, for the right here, right now. We have to not be dependent on, and and the world, 
does you know needs yeah. to not be dependent on Russian oil, and that is how you cripple. I mean, that country is getting crippled right now. And, you know, there's part of me that feels so bad. There's part of me that feels so bad that the athletes aren't being allowed to compete. And people, you know, performers aren't being allowed to perform and things like that. And it's, 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 uh, it's sad to me, but you know what? Unfortunately, it is what it is. And it is the only way to hit Russia where they literally live. You know, I mean, let's literally. Face it, even his own cabinet kind of a thing is against what's going on here. You know? But they're not willing to stand up to him. Well, well, of course, they're scared to stand up to him. You know, because the man is supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, a president, but he's a dictator. Yes. You know, and that's why 45 loved him, because he was like, you know, I love that these people have to do everything he says. I love that he's passed a law that says he's president forever. You know, it's what he wanted to do for himself. And, and you know, this, this is the stuff that people don't get. It's like, you know, the United States of America is a, is a quote-unquote democracy, because that's why all three branches have equal power. Yes. Because there wasn't supposed to be a king or a queen. You know? But the it, people it, of Russia, you know, you know, the difference between now and World War Two is that there is enough communication. And yes, he's, uh, Putin is doing a lot to block but there's no way you can block it all. Right. And so many of the Russians are refusing to believe that, you know, what's actually happening. And they're choosing to do that because they want to turn a blind eye. The people in Germany did the same thing when Hitler was in power. They gave in to, you know, they first they thought, you know, he was a joke and then when you know the SS and the Nazis started taking over and making people disappear, they instead of standing up to, to, for what was right, they turned a blind eye to the concentration camps and the abuse of the the Jews and the Gypsies and the gays mm-hmm. and anybody who was not a real German. But they all were real Germans. They all lived exactly. in Germany. You know, that's, yep. that's, and, and, but you know what? See, this is where I love history. I truly do. And this is where the difference between genius and megalomania is such a fine line. Cause mm-hmm. really when you think about it, when Hitler became chancellor of Germany. Germany was one of the poorest countries in Europe. They had taken such a beating during World War One. There you know, they people were out of work. No one had anything. He made it the wealthiest country in Europe. He was able to convince people that their neighbors weren't even human beings Meanwhile, he wasn't German. 
Yeah. He himself was not German. His grandmother was Jewish. But this goes to show just the difference and that fine line between genius and megalomania. Because yeah. he began as a really good chancellor. I mean, he got Germany, you know, moving again and, and productive again. And then, you know, his agenda. And let's face it, again, people don't realize that he studied what our ancestors did to the Native Americans mm-hmm. to figure out how he could now corral the Jews and the homosexuals yeah. and the gypsies and you know, people with disabilities and everything else. He studied the United States history. You know, and this is where, this is where, you know, as you were talking earlier about the white supremacists and all of these, you know, people that just have their own white power agenda. This is why they don't want history. This is why they labeled critical race theory. You know, and things like this. This is why they're talking about the alternative versions of the Holocaust or of slavery or of what we've done to the Native Americans. There's no alternate version of it. The truth is the truth. It's like Kelly Kellyanne Conway talking about alternative facts. Oh, God. There's no such thing. It's the truth or a lie. And it yeah. amazes me when I'll, I, I'll hear people that I know and love. Well, you know, there's two sides to every story. It's like, really? What side of the story do the slaves have? You know, I mean, seriously, what, 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 yeah. you know, now let's face it. There were, the Irish came over as indentured servants. The mm-hmm. Italians came over they were a half a step from the slave. They didn't get brought over in chains, but they got sold to families. Yes. You know, they were family property. You know, one of the things that, you know, most people don't know about indentured servants is they sold themselves. And they had the possibility of buying, paying off the debt. Right. But most of them, you know, had to work extremely hard because they were, you know, the family would charge them for the food and the shelter. So while they were living there doing the work, they were all also being charged rent and for, you know, for food. So they were accruing debt as they were living. Right. But they had the possibility of buying their freedom. And the slaves didn't have that. Matter of fact, you know, they were considered breeding stock so that if, you know, if your parents were slaves, you were automatically a slave. And you were owned by by the person who ever owned your parents. And it could be sold off just like a, a, a cow or a sheep. Well, think about The Help. Did you ever see the movie The Help? Yes where one of the women who was the help in her house, her mother left her to her daughter in her will. Yeah. And that she had to now go work for her daughter. Yeah. You know, the fact that, you know, it's, it's, 
again, when you listen to that story and how these these women raised those little girls and yes. boys, and they loved them. They loved them, and those kids loved them back. Where does that switch flip? When they um, started loving gr- this growing person, up. You know, but then you look at, you know, the, the, I can't believe I can't remember the character's name, you know, who never stopped loving. Yeah. You know, and who wanted their story told because it was wrong. Yeah. It was wrong what was being done to these women and still being, you know, my family, my mom was a nightclub singer. My my daddy, you know, was a producer. We always had live-in help. Always. Sometimes they were black. Sometimes they were white. You know what? They ate without us at the dining room table every single night. They ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner with us. They were part of our family. Yeah. They didn't sit in the kitchen. My mother loved to cook. So my mother made us breakfast. My mother made us dinner. They did the dishes and stuff. But we sat together and ate. You know, this it was never, you know, when, when um, oh, I wish I could remember their characters' names. When she's working yeah. for the quote-unquote white trash lady and she keeps coming in and sitting with her in the kitchen, Minnie. And, and she's like, yeah. no, you are supposed to be sitting out here. And she's like, but why? Why can't I just sit here and eat with you? And she's like, no, because this just isn't how it's done. And she's like, but I don't care. Because at that point, she was her only friend. Yeah. Well, the one character that you're talking about, she was played by Viola Davis. Correct. The main character. The main character. And the family put in another bathroom. Right. So they wouldn't have a shared bathroom with her. Well, the the woman did. I don't think the husband, the husband didn't care. Yeah. You know, it was the woman who did it. You know, and and it was just, it, it, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you ever saw the biography of Miss Jane Pittman, Cicely Tyson. No, I, I read the book. I, that came out in in the early 70s. And I saw it on TV, and then I used to go to the school library and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many times the guy who directed it just died um, maybe a week ago. And the profound effect seeing that had on me. You know, growing up in the North, and again, all the musicians my mom had, they were black, white, pink, green, purple. We all ate together. I never knew what that was, to have people not come through our front door, not be able to drink from the same fountain or eat off the same plates and things like that. I never knew what that was. Thank God. I never knew what that was. My children never knew what that was. You know, we actually had somebody who did some work for us, and he and his nephew, and I told them to let Sam and Bobby know 
that we were making uh, brunch and would they like to come up and eat? And they took their plates and they went to sit outside and, and we were like, I was like, no, 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 sit down. And this man sat down and he was in his 60s and his nephew is probably 31, 32 years old. And I'm like, are you okay, Sam? And he was like, well, quite honestly, you're the first white woman who's ever asked me to her table. And my wow. kids were like, what? And my son, Rob, how come they call you black? You're not black. Your skin's brown. And how come they yes. call us white? We're kind of peach. You know, yes. he's looking at it. That's one of the own. things that I, I never understood is because, for the most part, they are brown. Right. And, you know, talk about the red skin. Their skin isn't red either. I mean, I don't understand what the big friggin' hairy deal is about the yeah, skin yeah. tone. One of the books that I had, uh, I did um, an independent study on the history of African Americans. And one of the books that I read was Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. And Uncle Tom is supposed to be, be this this slur against African Americans. Uncle Tom was the most amazing character. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to be my father. He was loving. He was kind. He was compassionate. Mm-hmm. He was strong. When he loved you, he loved you with his whole heart. And that one uh, little girl that he took care of, she loved him, you know, she loved him too. And he helped her live longer than she would have. She was very sickly. And when she died, it destroyed the family, and that's when his life was flushed. But that's because the father had a breakdown. But he found the good in everybody. And that is the most amazing thing in any person. Right. I would love to have that find that trait in me. Uh I'm you know, I work towards it but not, you know, not quite there yet. But he changed people because he was strong enough not to let them change him. And mm-hmm. so, but I never, you know, you know, there's a lot of negativity attached to Uncle Tom. It's easy to be violent and angry and give in to rage. It's more of a challenge to change people mm-hmm. by not letting them change you. That is a thousand percent. And again, we're watching it right now with Judge Barrett, you know? And I'm watching her daughter and the pride on her daughter and her husband's face. You mean uh, Judge Jackson? Jackson, sorry, yeah. It's, I, I'm serious, the pride of, mm-hmm. and her parents, her parents who grew up in segregated Florida. Yeah. Think about that. 
that these people grew up during segregation, they are sitting watching their daughter's confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court. I'm actually getting choked up thinking about it. Yeah. I really am. Because, again, just goes to show that it's not where you start. It really isn't. Look at what they were able to accomplish as parents. You know? It's it's remarkable. If women work together, really work together, nothing could stand in our way. But there are a certain segment of women who, like, you know, like I say, the Scarlett O'Hara. And people, women of color, get that negative uh, programming. Um, I I came across an article today um, where they were talking about how they were trying to influence African-American girls into get, moving more towards, you know, the math and sciences. And they talked about how the subtle differences to get them away from it was soul murdering, hmm. which is basically killing any uh, a person's desire to learn and to grow. That happens with women. With women of color, it happens in the world. In many white households, that happens at home. You know, I've always been a geek. And I love to read, uh, you know, and I love to learn. But that was discouraged because I was just going to get married and have kids. When I started community college, my parents, you know, poo-pooed it and made life difficult because it was a waste. You're just going to have kids. No, I yeah. I from the age of five on up, I always said I never wanted to be married and I never wanted children. Oh no no no! You'll change your mind. You'll have all that. No, I'm 63 years old. I'm still single, and my kids have fur and four legs. And are a lot but, more responsibility. <laughs> oh yeah. You know. Um, but no, women. You know are taught to look a certain way. They have to act a certain way. My mm-hmm. mother kept saying, you look pe- too directly at people. You you know, you're you're too forward. You know, stop being so assertive. You know, and people will like you. And lose five, ten more pounds. People will like you. And, you know, the whole idea of attracting a man. I've I've had many men in my life, and you know some of them I loved, some of them I didn't. Um, but the thing of it is, that's not my purpose in life. My perp, you know, I am a writer. I'm a producer. I am not here to propagate the next generation. That's not who I am. And if you know, if you love children, God bless you. Uh, they scare the crap out of me. I don't understand what they say. 
but the thing of it is, there's room for all of us. That's exactly right. Because you know what? The other half of this show, my favorite job in the entire world is the job of mom. And the fact that I now have two grandchildren who are my favorite little boy and my favorite little girl ever. And you know what? Mm -hmm. Good for you. I have a lot of respect for people who knew they didn't want to have kids and didn't. Because I know way too many people who had them and shouldn't. Yeah. Okay? There are way too many people who had kids because that was what was expected of them, and they never had any interest in them. Yeah. You know, I'm not talking the moms who gave those kids up for adoption, because that, to me, is the most loving choice you could humanly possibly make. Yeah. To know that for whatever that reason is, you can't raise that child, but you're going to bring that child into the world to make somebody else's family complete. Yes. You know? So that's not, but there are way too many people that I see with their kids that have no patience for them, no doing. They're just an inconvenience to them. I can remember working at my aunt's pet store, and I was 13 years old, and this little boy was there with his dad. He was like five or six years old, and he wanted a hamster. And the father's telling him no, and he's screaming at him, you know. And this little boy starts to cry, and the father grabs him, and he's like, you know, boys don't cry. And I was like, what do you mean boys don't cry? And why are you grabbing your son like that? Don't bring him into a pet store and then tell him he can't have a pet. And the guy just kind of looked at me, because believe me, at, at 13 years old, I looked like I was 35. So, you know, it looked like I was a kid who was insulting him, and my aunt was just standing there, and and the guy looked at her, and he goes, uh, she's like, I'm with her. Yeah. What the hell are you bringing a little kid in here and then telling him he can't have a pet? That, yeah, yeah. My first job was working at the Vogue Theater in Manistee, and Jaws was playing, and that's not a kid's movie. And this little girl kept running out. She was probably maybe five, six years old, scared shitless. And she hung out with us at the uh, concession counter. And her parents, not one of her parents came to come look for her. Seriously? Seriously. That kid shouldn't have been at, yeah, they should have just gotten a sit, paid the money and got the the sitter. That's exactly right. because that movie wasn't for kids, and there was no bones about you know what that movie was about. It was PG, you know, technically PG thirteen or PG because they didn't have the thirteen at the time, but it was about a shark eating people. Right. Thank you. Not for and, nothing. There were a lot of adults that never went back into the ocean because of that movie. Yeah. But this little girl was scared shitless. And nobody checked on her. And that was just cruel. You know, (laughs) when I was about that age, my mother took me to see one of the Sinbad movies. And it was her, my brother, and myself. 
And there was this one scene where this evil magician made this statue grow, and he was chasing Sinbad, Sinbad and the princess, and he kept looking in the windows. I wanted to leave. I was scared shitless. And mm-hmm. for years after that, I had to have the wind. Yeah, yeah. I was so traumatized. I had to have the curtains completely shut, Aww. and I would lay in. In the, on the top bunk because she, my brother was you know, too young to sleep up there, so I was up there with the um, the blankets, you know, pulled up as far as I could, stiff as a board because if I didn't move, he could see me. Aww. But you know. Well, I think back. I think back to my my two different times with my children's father. Bambi had just been re-released. I was that mom that I watched everything before I let my children watch it. Mm-hmm. I watched Bambi and I was like, "There!" I told my children, I was like, there is no way you're watching this movie with our kid. He's three and a half years old. Daniel couldn't wait to watch Bambi. I said, you watch Bambi and then you let me know if you think it's appropriate for our son to watch Bambi. So I was I didn't go back to college until I started having kids. So it was a Wednesday night, so I was I used to take night classes. So and my children's dad was training for the Olympics. Our kids went to bed at eight o'clock and so did he. I come home from class, it's about ten thirty, and he is sitting up on the couch. There's no T V, there's nothing on, he's just sitting there on the couch. I'm like, What's the matter? And he was like, Bambi. That's like the most violent thing. And I just looked at him. I was like, please tell me you didn't watch that with Danny. Because Robbie was too little. He was just, you know, mm-hmm. Dan was when he was three, so Rob was a year and a half. He was already asleep. And he, I was like, Daniel, I can't believe you watched this with our son. Now, Dan, Daniel, if the the kids, I never put the kids to bed with us, even if they were sick. They went to their own bed. But if they woke mm-hmm. up and wanted to come and sleep with us, I always let them come sleep with us. And Daniel would wind up getting up and go sleep on the couch. And I'd be like, you know, how long do you think we're going to have before these kids never want to snuggle with us again? So I was just going to take it as long as I could. Well, that night, 3 o'clock in the morning, there's my son tugging at my my sheet. Mommy, Bambi lost his mother. Bambi lost his mother. Am I going to lose mm-hmm. my mother? And I'm like, honey, mommy's right here. He's like, mommy, can I come sleep with you? I was like, of course you can. He comes in. I, I like, elbowed my husband. I'm like, Daniel, get out. Go sleep on the couch. You know, I was just livid with him. That, and mm-hmm. he took our kids to see Titanic. <gasps> so here's my son who's eight. My other son's nine and a half. My daughter's five and a half. And he takes her, too. She's napping. She wanted to nap on the couch, which was rare for her. So I'm like, okay, she's napping on the couch. I'm in my room working, and I hear, Mommy, Mommy, the water. She's dreaming that the water is coming in and that she... I'm like... (laughs) I called him up because at that point we're divorced. I'm like, thanks for taking the kids to see Titanic. What were you thinking? Yeah. 
to take it's bad enough you took the boys. You took Courtney. When Jurassic Park came out, the first one, mm-hmm. teachers were sending things home to parents going, this is not a children's movie. Do not take your children to this movie. You know, Jurassic Park on regular TV is like Land of the Lost. Yeah. Jurassic Park up on that big screen when that T-Rex puts his head down and they flash the light and his iris expanded. That was a skit, but I'm serious. Teachers on a nationwide level, grammar school, preschool and grammar school teachers were just sending letter after letter after letter home. Do not take your children to this movie. This is not a kid's movie. You know, parents yeah. sometimes, you know, they, oh, this will be really cool. It's the parent, like you said, taking a five-year-old to see Jaws. Yeah. That movie as adults scared the crap out of people. Yeah. You know, think of it from a child's standpoint. You know? Well, Jaws, that, you know, that kid got killed. Right. Yeah, he was exactly. one of the first victims. And it was very graphic on the way the the shark showed it. Yep. In Jur- Jurassic Park, you know, there were kids being terrorized. Um, you know, running around. You know, adults were being eaten, but they were chasing the kids, and the kids were in peril. Right. And, you know, it's amazing because I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jurassic Park. You know, they made made the, you know, oh, I read both. Um, Jurassic Park, you know, they made that David Attenborough character. You know, he was kind of like a cross between Willy Wonka and Santa Claus. He was in the book. That was Mm -hmm. an evil man who didn't care that people were dying. Oh. And he actually, in the book, dies. Same thing with the character that Jeff Goldblum played. He doesn't Mm -hmm. survive. You know, but those were his grandchildren. And when they realized that these dinosaurs got loose, he refused to let them evacuate and stuff. So, yeah, they prettied that book, they prettied the movie up. You know, and and save Jeff Goldblum and, you know, like I said, made him into, you know, the cross between Santa Claus and Willy Wonka. No, he was really evil. Well, that was like Cujo. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. You know, that book Cujo, in the book, that kid dies after everything that mother goes through. And Hollywood just wasn't having that ending. Well, sometimes you, you know... They pretty things up in order to make it work. Right. Well, that's like the bad seed. Did you ever see the bad seed? Yeah. <laughs> ah, what a great um, movie. It start, That movie was a Broadway show. Yeah. And in the Broadway show, the mother dies. The girl gets away with it. The mother commits suicide and nobody realizes that this little girl is who she is. Hollywood was not having that. 
So the mother survives, and then if you remember, the daughter goes down to the dock to try to retrieve the metal, and mm-hmm. she gets struck by lightning, and you never see her. You know, it just the, the dock goes up in flame kind of a thing. Yeah. But, yeah. the You know, Broadway's brutal. Broadway will actually go that yard and stuff, whereas Hollywood, you know, they got to pretty stuff up. Well, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, Tennessee Williams, they also, Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams, one of my favorite, you know, short of Shakespeare, Tennessee Williams is one of my favorite playwrights. And he, the endings of his movies are different for the most part than the endings of the plays. Right. And, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, bringing it, into the masses, but also uh, movies and TV. Initially, they had that uh, to be, you know, that board they had to to um, get approval of. And yeah, that board's you know long gone away. But if they didn't get approval, they couldn't, you know, it couldn't be released. Howard Hughes. No. Um, there was that one movie that he manipulated them. It was, a, oh, crap! I forget the name of it. But uh, the actress, she was very buxomous. Oh, Jane uh, Russell, the outlaw. It, yes, that was it. And so it was a horrible movie, and they put it on the shelf and said, "This, yeah, the board says it's too racy, so we can't release it." Well, they re- re- released it the next year, and pe- it, it made a bucket of money yeah. because people weren't gonna, supposed to go see it. Right. Do you know he he aerodynamically designed a bra for Jane Russell in the scene where she, you know, her shirt was, uh, her, her dress was off her shoulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he created a special bra for her for that. Yeah. You know, well, that's like like the, you know, um, the children's hour. Did you ever see that one? It's a Lillian Hellman. I love Lillian Hellman. Mm -mm. It's about these two women. They run a private school. And one of the girls, because she stole something and didn't want to get in trouble, passes a rumor, starts a rumor that the teachers, the two women, it was Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn, um, were lesbians. Oh. And and so, you know, it's the school gets closed. James Gardner's engaged to uh, Audrey Hepburn. The school gets closed. I mean, all this stuff happens. And then um, – Shirley MacLaine confesses to Audrey Hepburn that she really is in love with her and that she does have these feelings and stuff. And she winds up committing suicide over it, you know, and, but the, the kid finally tells the truth and the grandmother is the one that had, you know, become up in arms and she's trying to apologize for it all, you know, and her uh, Shirley McLean's aunt, who
who knew the truth and knew that these kids were made, made up a lie left town, you know, to not come to their defense and they had a trial. I mean, it was just, it was all because a kid lied yep. about something she saw. And, yep. you know, it's, it's an unbelievable play, you know, and, you know, let's face it, there's been some great, the, the little foxes, you know, with Bette Davis. And I'll tell you, if I could go back, I really think, you know, every once in a while I think about it because I love Catherine Hepburn. And I just think oh, she's, she's, she's my favorite. Beautiful women in the entire world. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I'd rather play a lot of the roles that Bette Davis played. Because, man, did he play some serious roles, boy. Oh, yeah. You know, seriously. She, you know, Catherine Hepburn, the fact that she was so athletic, the fact that she broke so many of the um, longstanding things of beauty and, you know, women just standing up for themselves. And, again, coming back to guess who's coming to dinner. You know, where she's saying to Spencer Tracy, you know, we taught our daughter that, you know, it was wrong to judge somebody by their color and that people that did it was it were ignorant and all of these things, she said, but, you know, we never said to her, but don't fall in love, you know. Catherine, yeah, Catherine Hepburn, she pushed the limits on a lot of things, especially oh, for yeah. women's rights. Oh, yeah. She did. Um, a little-known movie called Trojan Women. Mm-hmm. And it was about what happened to the women of Troy after the city fell. Yeah. And she, the role she played was the matriarch who held them together. One of my... Um, <laughs> I've got two letters from her, two notes from her. Oh, wow. Back in the 90s, Back in the nineties when I uh, when I wrote Never Can Say Goodbye, the role of Amanda was written with Catherine Hepburn in mind. And without the benefit of the internet, I found her and sent it to her. And I said, I wrote this role with you know, with you in mind. Um you know, I would like to work with you. And I got this note back going Thank you very much. It's a nice script, but I've retired. So me being me, I wrote back, but please, please, please. (laughs) You know, I want to work with you so bad. And I got another note back, but I've I've retired. And if I I was the person then that I am now, I would have kept pushing it because there's always various degrees of, retirement but if i had produced it back then yeah you know, i've gotten a, to be a better writer and it's a much better script but i would have had a chance to work with katherine hepburn you know so. i she was an amazing woman you know somebody that most people don't realize ginger rogers mm-hmm. ginger rogers fought for the rights of the crew 
She was yeah. one of the women. She was the first woman to fight for her pay. You know, people don't realize she brought Fred Astaire into her movies. Yeah. She was already an established star. Yeah. And Fred Astaire was up and coming. And she wrote a book, you know, backwards in high heels, because let's face it, everything Fred Astaire did, that woman had to do backwards in high heels. But she was, she was, you know, a woman who was the one that started breaking down those doors and breaking down those barriers of pay and recognition and and title. Same thing with Lucille Ball. You know, Desi Productions. Wonderful things for for women in the industry. Yeah. People don't realize that. People don't realize that Desi Productions was the company behind Star Trek. Yeah. And when they wanted to pull Star Trek, she refused. You know, she thought that it was fabulous. I mean, you know, she, again, people give her credit for her comedy. You know, when the movie Mame came out, so many of my theater friends to this day, you know, make fun of her, you know, and her singing. But to me, no one in Hollywood deserved that movie more. When they were she singing was the one. to her and they were, you know, as she's walking and they're kneeling down to her, no one in Hollywood, as far as a woman, deserved that. But again, because people don't realize what she did on the production on the back end of things. Things that Desi Lou Productions revolutionized and stuff. The multiple cameras. Yeah. Um, uh, the d- depth of field. I mean, she brought film techniques to television. To television. And TV's first pregnancy. Yeah. You know, all of these things that just, you know, they were, because she was pregnant with her daughter during I Love Lucy, and they refused, you know, so they had to do all kinds of things. They shortened the season, blah, 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 blah. But when it came down to their second child, at that point, she pushed hard enough. She's got enough clout, you know, and again, being a woman, it's not until after her death that we get to find out all of the amazing things this woman did. You know, and so again, I love Angela Lansbury. I I absolutely love and adore her. But at that point, who knew Angela Lansbury back in 1969? Exactly. Or 70 when that movie came out. Nobody knew who she was unless she went to Broadway. Yeah. You know, Lucille Ball, but, you know, just, it, and I remember there was one of my, my kids growing up, they loved that movie. And they would say to me all the time, they're like, Mommy, you're so much like her, but you're way prettier. And you have oh, okay. a nice feeling voice. <laughs> but I but the thing that is, one of the, the things that film and television does is it changed perceptions. Because if you do it right and focus on the entertainment, mm-hmm. you can slip in the changes, the cultural right. changes. And that is why the white supremacists, you know, talk about, you know, 
you know, hate the people in the film and television industry. Right. Because we get past the censors and we change people's minds because we can expose them to things that are outside what their use what their the reality is. That's why Sidney Poitier was mm-hmm. such a pivotal person in that industry because I remember my mother when I was young, you know, and we were watching The Lilies of the Field. And I just, I love that movie. I mean, I just absolutely love that movie. There's not a movie of his I ever saw that I didn't love. And she was like, just this man is so important. She said, this man is so important. And again, I wasn't raised in a segregated life. So, you know, to me, her trying to explain to me how this man has made it okay for white people to let a black man walk through the front door. And I was just like, you know, as a child, didn't really understand what that meant because I had never not seen a black man walk through our front door kind of a thing, you know, and, and, and sit at, at rehearsal and eat dinner with everybody. And same thing, like I said, with whomever it was that was helping at our house at that time, you know, we always ate together. So I never understood that, but then in growing up, and seeing how other people, even in the North, you know, would react to different things and and whatnot. And it was like, wow, okay. Yeah. You know, now, now I'm understanding what she means. You know, it's like thinking of in the heat of the night when he says to him, you know, Virgil, and, and uses the N-word just right at his face. You know, and it's like, what do they call you? And he was like, they call me Mr. They call me Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs. You know, or when when Isabel Sanford is screaming at him during Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and, you know, boy, and you come in here and I raised her and blah, 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 and you're one of them uppity blah, 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 blah. And his face when he, like, takes his shirt and puts it over his mouth because it's just like, oh, I, I yeah. can't believe this woman. And the best is when she's walking out. And you ain't even all that good looking. <laughs> she slams <laughs> the door. You know, and it was just, it was amazing. But listening to her interview, because mm-hmm. back then, I mean, she didn't even own a car. She was taking a bus to and from work. And when Catherine Hepburn found out she was taking a bus, you know, she was like, well, why aren't you taking a cab? And, you know, how can she explain to her that I don't have the money to take a cab? Not only that, but what makes you think a cab is going to come pick me up? You know, kind of a thing. And and I love she does this imitation of Catherine Hepburn. Spencer, arrange Isabella Carr, you know. And and that's what wound up happening. And she would pay it and she'd give in her voucher. And she'd give in her voucher for the tip and everything. And they paid her back. She was making more money on that movie than she had ever made in her entire life. You know, and but it was so interesting listening to her talk about that scene. You know, and and she's like, and there I am with my finger up in Sidney Poitier's face, and you ain't even all that good looking. He was a good looking man. He was um, a beautiful man. He yeah, was so um, beautiful. And you know, and it's it's amazing to me because when Betty White died, 
I mean, I loved Betty White. Who didn't love Betty mm-hmm. White? I remember at my son one time. He was about 25 or 26 years old. And I don't even know what made me ask him. So if you could hang out with anybody, who'd you want to hang out with? He was like, Betty White. I was like, really? He's like, heck yeah. I would love to just be eating some hot dogs and drinking vodka with her. You know? And for a 26-year-old to be saying that about a woman who was in her 80s at the time, you know? So when she died, I mean, I really, I felt sad. I felt like, you know, People Magazine put the mojo on her, putting out that magazine a month early for her 100th birthday. But when Sidney Poitier died, I I was on the phone with my girlfriend, Janine, my best friend from childhood. And I don't know. And she was like, yeah, can you believe Sidney Poitier died? I burst into tears. I I was like, I had to get off the phone. I I can't even tell you the profound way that it hit me because it was an end of an era. Something, yeah, there was something about that man. And again, that my mother instilled in me that he was just so important because he made it okay for the white people who never liked a black person to like them. And yeah. again, never understood what that meant until I got older. But you listen, you know, when the Kennedy honors, and there's James Earl Jones talking about how, thank you, Sydney, because my career wouldn't have happened without you. And yeah. and Louis Gossett Jr. talking about how he was Sydney Porter in New York, you know, but that thank you, Sydney, because we all followed in your footsteps. You know, you are who it was Denzel Washington when he won the Oscar. And he was like, of course I win the Oscar on the night they gave Sidney Poitier the lifetime achievement award. <laughs> because I <laughs> always have to follow in that man's footsteps. And, but again, it's just, you know, you don't, let's face it, Teresa, we're never going to know what it is to walk into a room. People may think us second class because we're women. Yeah, but you know we don't know what that is, and and you know when you look at Black Lives Matter and stuff, and and I I've said it before and I'll say it again and I put it up and post. It's like while I will never truly understand with you, I stand or kneel. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I you know I'll go to a ball game, and we'll sing the national anthem, and then I will take a knee. Yeah, before I sit down. You know, just to honor, because I'm sorry, Colin Kaepernick asked a Green Beret, what do I do? And a Green Beret was the one who said to him, kneel. We kneel at a funeral when we fold the flag and give it to the spouse or the parents of a fallen soldier. You kneel in respect. And yeah. that way you don't dishonor the men and women who have fought and died for this liberty, you know. And 45, you know, that was his flag. And let's face it, that was his way to divert the attention to all the other crap he was doing. But so the while he had the is, country it wasn't up his, in arms. It wasn't, it wasn't really his flag. The Confederate flag and the Nazi flag are the, his flags. He just hides them with the American flag. Correct. Correct. And you know, let's face it. And this is what this is what will always make me laugh, is that all the people that follow him and go to his rallies, and or that he pays to go to his rallies, 
to wear in church because let's face it, you know, there's ads up in every city, you know, $10 an hour, $15 an hour to go and whatnot. These are people that would never even be allowed to, unless they were cleaning the toilets, be in any of his hotels or any of his places. Oh, yeah. You You know, whereas we have a president now who, you know, Jill Biden always jokes. She was like, yep, there's Joe getting somebody's phone number, you know, because he stutters or he's a disabled veteran who needs help. And, you know, it, it, it was having that little kid who's got juvenile diabetes. And again, because he wrote President Biden a letter and President Biden answered the letter and then gave him a call and invited him to the White House. Yeah. And people have a hard time with this man. You know, it's like he's kind, he's intelligent, he's compassionate, he's strong as hell, and let's face it, most stutterers are more, you know, are at the genius level. Right. And And I had somebody say that to me, well, it doesn't bother you, the whole cognitive thing, and it's like, really, you're an educator, principal of a school, and you don't realize those pauses are because he's resetting because he stutters? Are you really that foolish? Yeah. And that you listen to what people, you know, I mean, seriously? No, you know what? Not for nothing. Everybody makes a mistake. Everybody reads a telephone wrong or whatever. But you know what? When you ask this man a question, he answers it. I love his town halls where he would answer the question and then say to them, did I answer your question? And I loved it because it was 45 supporters. It was his supporters and 45 supporters is there out there with this question. And they're like, yes, you, you did, you know, with a smile on their face, like, wow, wait a minute. What you said really made sense. And his last town hall, he stayed for like another hour and a half after the camera stopped rolling so every person in that audience that came could ask him the question they came to ask. You know, and he answered the cameras them. were off exactly, and he actually gave an answer, not double talk, not back and forth, an answer, an intelligent and answer. It was without insults or demeaning yep. the other person. Yep. You know, he is president at this time because this is the best time for him to be. Correct. And if he had run instead of Clinton, he most likely would have won, but he wouldn't have been president now. And now is when we need him. And as much as I hate, I loathe the fact that she lost. If she had won, it would have been Obama obstruction 2.0. And as much as I hate to say it and admit it, if Trump hadn't won, we wouldn't know just how bad the bigotry, the misogyny, and the racism is in this country. Right. And we wouldn't be dealing with it now. And that's one of the only good things he did is he brought them out from underneath the rocks. Yeah. We now know who they are, and we can yep. deal with them. 
you got to realize that, wow, that soccer mom that, you know, or the my next door neighbor or my cousin, yeah, you know, uh, that's, that's the hard part for me is some of my family members, you know. I've and it's like, myself for most of my family because they're racist, misogynistic bigots. Well, you know, it, it, it still comes kind of as a shock, yeah. you know, when you realize how close all of that really is and yeah. how, you know, again, I have three children. It was my responsibility as a parent yeah, to teach my children that multiculturalism isn't in a book, you know, that, that white privilege really does happen. Yeah. On the flip side, my son, my oldest son, was the flip side of that because all of this stuff had come out about how, you know, they were treating white kids. And my son got in trouble. And, man, when I tell you, they came down on him because he was the perfect kid. You know, the straight-A student, the star baseball player. So he was the great one for the school to just jump all over, you know, and for something stupid, you know. Yeah. And it was just like, and, I, you know, I, I say it all the time. As a parent, it's your job to give your kids wings. And yeah. and I told him, I said, you know, anybody can fly when there's nothing in the way. But when There's you a... fly into a storm, now we'll see how strong the wings mommy gave you are. Yeah. You know? There was um, this um, graphic, and it, it, you had all these, you know, these um, people lined up of different cultures um, for this race. And white men started off like, you know, for the 100-yard dash, they started at, you know, 75 yards. And then it, you know, basically ranked different people, you know, different cultures and genders according to where, you know, how how fast they had, you know, to run in order to win. White men and their old, their good old boys club, they support each other. And they back each other up. Mm-hmm. And that's why they succeed. If women on, on a whole did that, nothing could stop in our way, could stand in our way, which is why they are again trying to divide us. Well, and you know what? It's why Word of Mom is in our tenth year, because I started this show to give women a voice, so mm-hmm. we could encourage and educate and empower each other, and realize that we weren't each other's competition. That no matter yes. what you do, you're a playwright, you are a producer and an editor and a director. You know what? You couldn't produce and edit and direct every film that needs to be made. You can do the exactly. ones that you are meant to do. And there are a lot of other women out there that are doing the thing, doing it too. And we're here to encourage them, whether they're yeah. an actor, whether they're a coach or a you know, speech pathologist, regardless, regardless of what you do. You know, we have new sponsors coming on, and one is a phenomenal skincare line that's completely organic, actually made for you kind of a thing. And again, mm-hmm. 
Will I have other women on the show that have skincare lines? Absolutely. Why? Because I don't care how big this company gets. I don't care if she gets bought out by gigantic. You could never. That's why there are so many skincare lines out there. It's impossible for one company to serve everyone. I just make yeah. sure when we bring them on that they are organic, that they are, yeah. you know, made ethically and all of those things. That's what I can promise as the host and the producer of this, that when we bring a product or we bring a service or whatever, that I've tried the product, that I look into their service, that I've read your book and you, you, you know, tried your recipes. We try yeah. to be completely authentic here, but most importantly, we're here to empower and educate women and make those barriers come down because again, you know, we've said it before, Teresa, let's face it. You can, we can all get out there and sing our song. We can all get out there and have our solo and everything else. But when mm-hmm. you are part of a choir, the music resonates and the harmonies yeah. and everything else. And yeah. our voices carry the more we work together the stronger we will be. I'm pulling together a studio. And like my projects, it's going to be producing, you know, know, film and television that's based on age, gender, and ethnic diversity. I want to break stereotypes in front of and, and behind the cameras, especially for women, Native Americans, and veterans. And we can do that. I, there there are so many wonderful actors out there that I want to work with. With Never Can Say Goodbye, I wanted Elizabeth to be cast with an ethnic actress. And, you know, give, getting somebody like Viola Davis or Vivica Fox or Queen Latifah would have gotten our, our self-funding right there. But they, you know... Them and other A-list actors, they're so involved with being, you know, the big studios and the big bucks right. that they're pricing themselves out of roles that they actually are, uh, they want. I had this discussion with this guy. Um, he is part of, promo- you know, promoting women in film and television. And it's like I reached out to them. I begged. And I couldn't get them on board because they want they wanted you know you know to compete with the fifteen million dollars. Well, never can say goodbye's production budget is three point one. I'm willing to give points on the back end, which is, would actually get them more. But until you're funded, you can't get the talent, and you can't get the talent without being funded. And that chicken and egg could be easily be broken by them. Saying yes. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, people get to a place and they forget where they began. Yeah. So it's time to reach out to that newbie who's going to become a Vivica Fox. Oh, yeah. Or a Viola Davis or a Queen Latifah because they're out there. And they're dying yeah, oh, yeah. for work. They need work. They need put stuff on their resume yeah. and whatnot. So, so, 
good projects make A-listers. Yeah, A-listers don't make a project good. Look well, at Johnny you know Depp. what? Look at Ro- think back to Rocky. Yeah. Okay. They did that movie with a million dollar budget. The yep. only quote unquote name in that movie was Burgess Meredith. And really, people knew him because of the Penguin, which is a shame because he had a fairly distinguished career. Claudia Shire, you know, people maybe remembered her from The Godfather, but most people didn't. And yeah. she never, you know, Sylvester Stallone, I mean, you know, it was his debut. And there he was that he wrote it and directed it and started in it and everything else. And Chartoff and Winkler, the, the producers of this, you know, a million, look at what that became. They I could do one better him. than that. American Graffiti cost $777,000. It launched about a dozen careers. You know what? Steven Spielberg directing it. Yep. You had um, Harrison Ford was in it, Mackenzie Phillips, you know, Wolfman Jack, Suzanne Summers, Richard Dreyfus, Cindy Williams. I mean, it's amazing that I was just thinking about that movie. Somebody had put up a a movie with a great soundtrack. That to me is one of the Best soundtracks yep. ever. And it made tens of millions of dollars, and it cost yep. less than a million dollars. Yep. You know, but that's, see, that's the whole thing. It's, it's, it's not the people in the it's, the, it's the movie. It's the movie itself. But then again, back then, look at, you know, going back to Rocky, going back to that, that was a word of mouth. Yeah. People saw Rocky and was like, wow, did you see Rocky? Did you see Rocky? Did you see Rocky? We live in a world now where, you know, blockbuster movies and they're reporting the, you know, how much this made, like box office, you know, runs in a game and stuff. And if it didn't make this and it, you know, but that's what happens when you have a $50 million budget or a $100 million budget. If your uh movie's not making, you know, $100 $100 million in the first two weeks, oh, you're screwed, you know? Well, yeah. Um, the industry yeah. has been taken over by bean counters and pencil heads. And go. in their tiny world, it people can be summed up at the bottom of a balance sheet, and it always comes out. Two plus two always, always equals four. People are not that simple. Johnny Depp, before he went crazy... Um, was an A-lister. You know, the he started in television and he had some really good successes. And the pirate movies were over the top. But the Dark Shadows and the Lone Ranger, they were overpriced, over over-budgeted movies that pissed the fan base off. There are hundreds of millions of Dark Shadows fans that were expect, you know, that wanted, a, you know, something along the lines of this TV series. Right. They got a badly crafted farce. And as for the Lone Ranger, there's a way he could have honored honored his Native American heritage without making Native Americans look like fools. Right. 
It was very. You know, I'm not. No, we actually be, start. Can you believe it? We're almost, we're at the end of our two hours. Oh no! We have to start <laughs> wrapping up. I know. Oh, fast. okay. Goes fast. It does. It, yeah, so time flies when you're having fun. Tonight, exactly. So, um, next time I want to talk. Um, we will be further along with completely loyal to me. I bring it up oh, yes. because it's set in the 1950s, and it follows with this conversation because we're going to be dealing with two issues where women have to lie, had to lie and manipulate in order to have power, and how the you know the gays needed to stay in the closet to stay safe. It you know those are the two issues that yeah the two secrets that had to be you know kept, and it was those secrets that led to murder, to blackmail, and to revenge. And I will leave it at that. Ooh. Well, but it's also a dark comedy. So, well, there you go. So's life. So on that note, well, everybody, yeah. thanks so much, Teresa. Thanks for being here. Thanks Thank for you. tuning in, guys. We look forward to our next Moms After Dark and the next ten years here on Word of Mom Radio. So we're going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So on behalf of Teresa, we're going to say freedom with you. Bye for now. Bye. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave.